Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Networks. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. The following episode of Mark My Words has been edited for this rebroadcast. Welcome. You're listening to Mark My Words here on the Life Coach Radio Network, and today is March 2nd, 2014. This is Mark Shaw broadcasting live from New York City. I'm a certified life and business coach, and twice per month I host Mark My Words, which is a life coaching-oriented show where I interview various people with inspiring life stories of overcoming adversity, and I also speak with authors of great coaching-related books and programs, as well as many others who have great things to say. So tune in with me the first and third Sunday of every month. So before I start with uh, this evening's topic, I'm actually going to tell you a little funny story about something that happened that relates to the topic. Uh, Tonight's topic, of course, being perfectionism and not having to be perfect and not fearing making mistakes. And when you do make a mistake, not getting too bent out of shape over it. So um, I realized that the link that I sent out to my email list today did not contain the right URL behind it. So it looked like the right link to the naked eye, but it actually sent you, instead of to the link for this show, it actually ended up sending folks, sending folks to my guest's YouTube video of her TED Talk. So as valuable as that was, I wanted to make sure that people could um, still get to hear the show tonight. So hopefully you all made it here tonight safe and sound. Uh, I sent out a correction email, which then didn't go to everybody because I forgot to click on something that I should have clicked on. So I was really imperfect today, which um, is perfect in and of itself, as our guest Maria Pascucci will certainly uh, illustrate today. So uh, I'm very excited to have Maria with me. Maria is... um, uh, a oh, and I actually before I, before I get into that, I also want to say that uh, I became aware of my my mistake because of a friend of mine, an old pal from high school, who uh, told me that he didn't get the email, and my investigating why he didn't get it helped me discover these other problems. So had he not thought to email me to say that, I would never have discovered those problems. So a good shout out to my old buddy Keith Kahn in Bedminster, New Jersey. Thank you, Keith. So. Um, and, of course, tonight is the Oscars, so those of you who are listening live with us, um, I appreciate your taking yourself away from the Oscars, uh, from the perfectionism of, of, of everybody's faces and clothing on the Oscars uh, to come and hear about uh, perfectionism here with Maria and me. So tonight I'm going to be talking with Maria Pascucci. I'm very excited. Maria uh, was actually a student of mine at IPEC Coaching. And uh, very excited and proud about what she's done with her coaching business. And she uh, actually now coaches people uh, around the issue of recovering from perfectionism uh, because perfectionism can really hurt when we're obsessed with it. So Maria speaks of her personal battle with extreme perfectionism and overachievement and the physical illness that manifests as a result. Um, So she's going to take us through her journey uh, from severe pain, from self-induced stress-related illness, including endometriosis, to an empowered life on her way to joy, happiness, and fulfillment. Uh, Maria's overall message is that perfectionism has been glorified and socially sanctioned, and it's actually a form of self-abuse, and there's a very high price associated with it. So it's not necessarily the key to success. When you spend so much time trying to be perfect, you don't authentically connect, and you cut yourself off from the full richness of life. Uh, You don't take risks. You don't learn and grow because you're afraid of that. You won't be perfect. So um, I'm very excited to welcome Maria Pascucci to the show. So um, Maria, welcome. Hi, Mark. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank 
good. Well, so am I. And uh, I actually just got a message from a listener. I'm sorry, so I got a little distracted for a moment, who says that she's having trouble logging into the show. So we'll just have to deal with that. So, uh, yes, so welcome to my imperfect show this evening. <laughs> and uh, I'm really glad you're here. And I'm real proud of everything that you've been doing um, and your TED Talk. Congratulations on that. Uh, the link to that is on my website, so some of the listeners perhaps have already had the opportunity to listen to it. Um, so, um, so I'm glad you're here. And I'd love for you to just kind of start by telling us a little bit about your backstory and how perfectionism uh, and the, the, the drive to be perfect has affected your life. Yeah, well, geez, do you want the long story? Do you want the four-hour version? <laughs> um, uh, let's go to the shorter yeah. version because I'm going to ask you some follow-up questions anyway. <laughs> um, I think, as I talked about it in my TED Talk, the drive to be perfect, I really think that that started when I went through puberty. My hormones were all out of balance, which I discovered later was that I was diagnosed with endometriosis. But at the time, uh, when I was 13, my skin was breaking out like crazy. I was getting teased and bullied at school for it. Um, I, I, was, I went through two periods uh, when I was 13, or no, when I was 14 and 15, where I was hospitalized uh, for ruptured ovarian cysts. And I just everything in my life was out of control. I was scared, and I I think what happened, looking back, of course, when I was 14, I wasn't aware of this, but I just unconsciously made this decision that I, I couldn't control what was happening to my body, so I was just going to start controlling everything else. So I started per- perfecting and controlling and overachieving, and I think it was a way to protect myself from the embarrassment and the shame and the pain that I was feeling. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, that carried with me through college. Um, I took antibiotics for acne, which temporarily healed the acne. But then, uh, so I shifted the perfectionism into academics, uh, went to college, and I was uh, one of the first in my family to go to college and uh, just overachieved. And I graduated after uh, four years with uh, two majors, two minors, two part-time jobs on the side, and I had a 3.92 GPA, and, uh, you know, I had a panic oh my in goodness. the bathroom <laughs> during the final exam, and, you know, I graduated with stress and anxiety-induced health problems, so that's, uh, that, that was a wake-up call for me. Mm-hmm. So you got an A in making yourself crazy, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the thing, too, though. When you're a perfectionist, it's this all-or-nothing thinking. So even though I graduated at the top of my class because I had essentially a breakdown, I was looking at the person next to me, and he graduated at the top of his class, but he looked like he was fine, and I was suffering, so therefore I still felt like I failed. Sure. Sure. And I, I, I'm guessing, too, that since your GPA wasn't a 4.0, what, what feelings did you have about that? Yeah, it was uh, – I, I had one B in college, and it was, it was, it was a, a professor who was a really tough grader, and uh, he also taught other classes that I was interested in, but I didn't take them because I didn't want my GPA to suffer. <laughs> so. You know, wow. that's one of the things that perfectionists deny themselves sometimes, just the love of learning and immersing themselves into something new and challenging themselves because they're afraid of not being perfect and, and somebody's going to find out that they're not perfect. Sure. So it's interesting. So you actually end up learning less um, because, yeah. you know, you're giving up learning opportunities uh, in, in, all in an effort to make it look on paper like you learned more. Right. Yep, exactly. Interesting. It sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of mental acrobatics and stuff, and it, it sounds like uh, it's, a, it's a, a much more draining amount of work than simply studying to really learn and, 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 and do well but not perfect would have, would yeah. have been for you. you know? Yeah, so. it is exhausting. There's, it, there's this, um, a few years ago, there's this study that came out of Duke University and it's talking about young women in the pursuit for what they called effortless perfection, which is scary. Mm-hmm. It's the, 
pursuit of looking perfect and acting perfect and being perfect, but at the same time making it look effortless, which is exhausting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, and far from effortless. (laughs) Right, (laughs) far from effortless. That's very true. You know, so, um, you know, I I would love for you to share, uh, there were two things that we uh that we talked about in preparing for this interview uh that mm-hmm. came up for you around perfectionism one was about uh preparing for and almost delaying this very interview um and yeah. another was a college radio interview that you did can you just briefly tell us about those two things yeah absolutely so i am a, I, I have my campus calm business and that's um, a business that I, I'm a college speaker, and I've uh, had that website open for seven years. And now that I graduated from the IPEX program, I'm uh, expanding my coaching brand to coach recovering perfectionists of all ages and not just college students. So in preparing mm-hmm. for this interview, I'm launching my new coaching website, and the website wasn't finished. And I... <laughs> Like the part of me, the perfectionist in me, wanted with like every fiber of my being to call you up and be like, Mark, can we please push this interview back? I can't do this. My website's not perfect yet. <laughs> so, so when I do, when we do um, talk about the new website, and, and when visitors are invited to check it out, there are pages on the website that when you click on it, it just says coming soon. And, you know, I'm going to practice what I preach, and I'm a work in progress. So is my website. So here it is. <laughs> and it's no big Great. deal. Yeah, it's no big Great. deal. And it's, th- this is a wonderful learning lesson for me because in years past when I would do interviews, I would ask for the list of questions in advance, and I would spend hours scripting and preparing every single sentence of every answer. And I remember one radio show that I did, um, it was a, a college radio network, and I just sat there and she would ask me the questions on the air and I would read my responses. And I'm sure that it was a little frustrating for her because I had like a five-paragraph response for every question she asked me. But, you know, I think for... <laughs> I think for some, sometimes, I mean, when you're dealing with a perfectionist, it's great because we'll do all the work for you and you can just sit back. But we're also masking, at least in my case, we're masking the fact that we're afraid that somebody's going to ask us a question and we're not going to go know the answer and we're going to look stupid. So instead, Mm -hmm. we just perfect and control so that doesn't happen. Again, lots and lots of exhausting work. And like, like you said, it, yeah. it comes at a really, really huge cost uh, to, to really have to be that perfect with everything. So what, Maria, would you say has been the, uh, the greatest cost to you in your strive for this absolute all-or-nothing perfection? Um, I would say that it would just be peace of mind in enjoying the journey so Mm -hmm. in the past I would just drive myself nuts preparing for something and then when I went to deliver it you know whatever it was it it was great and instead of just having that faith and trust in myself to know that I got this instead it was always this fear which like for example Um, I'm on vacation this week with my husband and his family in Las Vegas, which is awesome. And under normal circumstances, I would have spent all day today preparing for this interview and scripting out my answers. And instead, my husband and I went to Red Rock Canyon today, and we went hiking in the mountains, which was awesome. And it's just nice to Mm -hmm. know that I can do this interview and – just know that I, you know, I got this. I know what I'm talking about. I don't have to obsess over it, and it's it's freeing. Sure. So you really, uh, so it sounds like 
what the costs are on the other side of that, it's the joy, the excitement, and the passion in life and the things that you can do that are so enjoyable. It costs you that when you're spending so much time being perfect, not to mention costing you your health in the way that it did mm-hmm. back then when you were in college and, and, uh, and even more recently with uh, endometriosis and, and everything else that, yeah. uh, uh, that you've had going on. I mean, it's really cost you your happiness and your health. Yeah, and, and I mean, the thing is, is that when you are chronically stressed out, nobody can argue with the fact that it weakens your immune system. And when your immune system is mm-hmm. weaker, you're more susceptible for chronic disease. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. my perfectionism caused my endometriosis, but it definitely was a contributing factor, and it certainly flares and has flared it up over the years. And I've, I mean, mm-hmm. I've gone through... Um, insomnia in in my life. I've experienced anxiety. So it's all aggravated, all aggravated by striving to be perfect. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, just like, you know, just like uh, stress doesn't cause a heart attack or a heart condition, I should say, um, mm-hmm. it certainly is a major contributing factor. Uh, and so is right. diet and exercise. So it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, I'm interested in something that uh, that you've said before in talking about um, your quest on helping people uh, through their own perfectionistic tendencies, um, and it's you say that perfectionism is glorified. Tell me a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. What do you mean when you say that it's glorified? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different facets of perfectionism where I think it's glorified. I mean, first, academic perfectionism, um, winning awards. You get scholarships to college. If you have perfect or near-perfect grades, you can get scholarships to grad school. And it's, it's just this cycle that we want students to be well-rounded, but at the same time we want them to be high achievers in every area of their life, which can stress out especially uh, students who, you know, have a perfectionist kind of nature to begin with, that can be really stressful. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. even just the Olympics were just on. It's you know, how many, you know, how many times was the word perfect used while, while I was watching the Olympics? I, I couldn't count how many times that that was used. And, uh, I mean, flip to any women's magazine and you'll see the pressure to look perfect. It's, uh, there, there's uh, one women's um, fashion and fitness magazine and in the cover of the magazine that just says, I I have it here, it's look 10 years younger today, drop a jean size in 21 days, have it all this fall, super sexy hair, bigger flattering fashion in the body of your dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one another. Go ahead. I I was going to say like another, another magazine is, you know, on the cover, it's like, get it now, a body built for sex. So it's like, apparently, unless you have the perfect body, you can't do that either. <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I, and, I, and I worry about that, too. I mean, I have I have uh, uh, two nieces, and and uh, it's, it concerns me. One, she's just finishing up her, well, she's in her second semester of her freshman year uh, in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my other one's going to be going to college soon. And, you know, the thing that I hope that they know and they take with them is that they don't have to be perfect. Um, they're both very, very good students. They're both brilliant and smart, and, and they get amazing grades. Um, and having worked in higher education myself in my previous career, one of the things that I knew, particularly working at NYU, uh, New York University, which is a pretty prestigious school, is that we had a lot of students that were at the top of their class that came to school there. Well, then you got all these mm-hmm. top students, and not everybody could be at the top of the class, so they really struggled with, oh, my God, it's not so easy for me to be at the top anymore, and they would really mm-hmm. struggle, and I'd have to kind of you know, do some academic advising with some of them through that. Um, and there's an mm-hmm. enormous, enormous amount uh, of pressure. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, 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 to get those perfect grades. Um, so, uh, and I remember the messages I heard growing up, you know, don't you want to get good grades so that you can get into a good college and make a lot of money? The message being, you know, really, really great grades, perfectionism means you're going to earn a lot of money. Um, you know, who's, right. not, who's not going to want that and be influenced by that, you know? Right. And then a lot of students 
take that message, internalize it, and then conclude so that if I'm not perfect and if I get a B, I'm a failure and I'm never going to create success or be happy or make money. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we actually have a caller uh, that's calling in. Oh, okay. So I want to uh, – yeah, so we're going to pick that up. So uh, here we go. So caller, I'm going to identify you by your uh, last four digits of your phone number is 1019. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Kristen, and I just had a comment Hi, about this, actually. <laughs> I'm seeing sure. a lot of perfectionism with working in the sense that I feel like the media is portraying overworking as being really attractive. Like the biggest example I'm seeing right now is House of Cards, where we have like Francis at 11 o'clock at night working at the Capitol building, and you have his wife Claire like always up when he comes home and she's working. They always have their laptops in bed with them. So I feel like the media mm-hmm. is kind of portraying this overworking lifestyle and this as a good thing when really it's something that causes stress and it's not healthy. And I have I have my own business and I have clients who have this lifestyle and they'll email mm-hmm. me on like Saturday nights and stuff and expect me to reply and it's that's difficult because I don't want to have that lifestyle. I have to kind of put set boundaries there and show that that I don't find that to be a healthy work life to be working constantly. So that's that's where I'm just seeing a lot of like the perfectionism right now. Sure, absolutely. In fact, you know, how many times do people send you an email? I, I, I've known people who have done this. I, I try to put a stop to it as soon as it happens, but they'll send you an email, and then they'll call you in five minutes. Did you get my email yet? It's like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't. So, yeah, yeah I, 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 I think you're, uh, you're absolutely right. Maria, what, what are your thoughts about, uh, uh, about Kristen's – is it Kristen? Yes. Yeah. What are your thoughts about Kristen's comments about the media – uh, glorifying this this hard working get it to perfection uh, concept. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I I completely find that relatable. I see that a lot, and I think that you know, in in in, in our society, and you see it from a young age, from college all the way up, then through the working world, it's this whole we brag about how busy we are, and we brag about how little sleep we get. You know, in college, I I, I uh, slept three hours last night. Oh, you slept three hours. I only slept two hours. And I think it's just it's something that you see, and then it carries on. And you know, Kristen's absolutely right. You're seeing these images everywhere. That the busier you are, I think the images, the more successful you are, and the more money you must be making, and the more status you must have, and in. You know, I I can definitely see how that would be difficult where you see everywhere this image of what success is supposed to look like, and that's the beauty of being able to take a step back and then ask yourself the question, what does success look like to me? You know, how how do I how do I want to create my work-life balance or whatever it is? Mhm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting too. I I meet people you know, in all kinds of professions, and uh, I always uh, ask people what they do, you know, in, in just my casual conversations. And I'm always interested in how much people like their careers and their jobs. And I find that there are some jobs, some careers that I call prestige jobs, where they take it for the prestige. They go to law school for the prestige, become a lawyer mm-hmm. for the prestige. And I'm specifically picking on lawyers right now just because that's the most prominent one that I hear is that, you know, I ask them, how do you feel about the practice of law? Nine out of ten say, I hate it. And they feel stuck in it. And but then when back when they made the decision to get into it, they were motivated by these perfectionistic standards and the accoutrements of mm-hmm. success, as I call them. Um, and now they're finding, you know, uh, as many other people, not just lawyers, find that here they are at a point in their career where they're unfulfilled and unhappy. Yeah, they have the money that was promised, but they're not really able mm-hmm. to enjoy it. Um, and they're and they're missing something. There's sort of a spiritual void, an emotional void. Um, which can be very, very painful uh, and very damaging. Right. And, so, I, think, uh, and I think that that starts at, uh, again, it starts at younger ages where a lot of students are encouraged to, instead of really following their passion, let's take a look at the top ten list of college majors that lead to high-paying jobs, and then let's pick from them. And what's happening mm-hmm. is a lot of a, a lot of people are choosing careers that, don't make them happy. 
That's right. That's right. No, absolutely. So, uh, well, thank you, Kristen, for the call. I really uh, appreciate your comments and uh, and your thoughts. And uh, thanks for thanks for calling in. Um, so, when we were talking, Maria, about some of the costs to being perfect, there was a story that you told me. Um, you may have told it already, though, tonight. It may have been uh, your story, but it was something about a student who dropped a class. Was that another student that yeah. we had talked about? Because if so, I'd like there, you to share that. Or was that the same one you told before about when you dropped a class? No. I, there, I actually have received a lot of messages from students over the years with this story. Um, one, one in particular, when I was in college, I was a um, I was a work study in the history department at the, the college I graduated from, and one of the professors there, she knew that I battled with extreme perfectionism, and she told me a story about a student of hers who, um, right before the midterms, it was like the cutoff date where you can drop the class, and one of her students dropped the class right before midterm, and when the professor asked the student why she was dropping the class, the student said that she loved the class, but she knew that she wasn't going to get an A in the class, and she was not Mm. going to damage her 4.0. And um, the professor told me that it was just such a shame because at the time by midterm, the student was slated to get an A- minus in the class. And it's just so unfortunate that that, student was missing out on all of these learning opportunities and lessons in mm-hmm. resilience because mm-hmm. of that whole pressure to be perfect and graduate with the perfect 4.0. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, you know, what's sad, too, is that it's not even just, you know, the learning opportunities. You know, we, we always say, oh, you know, don't miss out on the learning opportunities, and, and sometimes that's heard as sort of a generic, like, there's always a learning opportunity. But on top of that, you said she loved the class. That's the, that's the part that I find particularly sad, is that she yeah. loved the class. So aside from the learning opportunity that any life experience or class that you'll take, even if you don't really enjoy it that much, is, it's always a learning experience, this would have been that much more of a learning experience because she loved it um, and was willing to sacrifice that uh, for this perfect perfect GPA. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder I wonder how she's doing now. You know? Uh, I, these patterns I, I carry into I, our lives. It does. And it's interesting because I think that what is happening is a lot of people are tying from a very young age, they start to tie their self-worth to their performance in life. So whether it's the GPA or then when you're in the working world, it's the business card and the you know the titles and the dollar amounts. But it's all these things outside of ourselves that we define ourselves by. So then let's take the, the example of the student. If the student measures their self-worth by their grades, well, then they're not going to stretch themselves outside of their comfort zone and try something new because they're not going to risk such a blow to, to their self-worth. I mean, that, that was, I think that was a big part of it for, for me when I was a student, too. And, you know, I, I received emails from students on a regular basis from all around the world for the last seven years. So I have a pretty good idea of what's going on with a lot of young perfectionists in our world. And, and I see and I hear those stories time and time again. Yeah. It's uh it's it's well it's like we're saying you know it, it's sad and um uh i i was just thinking of getting onto something else uh but i actually have decided that before i do that we're going to take a little break to talk about the next shows that are coming up on life coach radio network so when we come back i want to pick up uh with the role that parents and teachers play uh in the whole mm. perfectionism thing um but first let's take a look at the shows that are coming up on the life coach radio network in the next couple of days so we're here with maria pascucci uh, who is a coach that coaches people on perfectionism and recovering from perfectionism. And she's also an author and uh, the owner of Campus Calm 
Com, uh, where she coaches women leaders, particularly on college campuses, but her practice has also grown to include not just students that she coaches on perfectionism, but everybody else as well, uh, or at least other women as well. So, um, so Maria, when, uh, when we paused a few moments ago, we were about to look at the role that parents and teachers play um, in the perpetuation of these ideas of perfection, perfectionism in their kids. Um, Speak to that a little bit. What is the role that parents and teachers currently seem to often play in, in creating a culture of perfectionism? Yeah, I mean, I think what's happening is that there are large numbers of very, very well-meaning parents and educators and policymakers who are, I don't even think consciously, but using fear and scarcity tactics to basically frighten kids into perfectionism. And what I think is going on is so you have a student who um, maybe gets C's or whatever, gets some B's, and sometimes their parents are saying, um, you know, you have to try harder, you're not going to be able to find a job unless you get this, and thinking that maybe that that will be the motivating factor to help, you know, a student kind of buckle down and, and start working and start taking school seriously. But I think what's also happening is that the students who already are kind of hardwired for perfectionism, that you're they're hearing that message too, and that message is just, scaring a lot of a lot of people and just reinforcing that fear based perfectionism that's kind of already that's already there and it's just perpetuating it. Now it, it certainly is not all parents or all educators by by any means. I actually receive a lot of emails from concerned parents um, over the years mm-hmm. just saying that, you know, my child is such a perfectionist and pushing themselves to the to the breaking point and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help them. So, you know, they're certainly not the problem. That being said, um, there's, a, there's a study that came out from um, the Judd Foundation. They partnered with uh, Seventeen Magazine, and um, they mm-hmm. did a survey of, like, 671 students ages 13 to 21, and it found that 74% said the pressure to be perfect came from within, and then 56% said that the demand came from parents. Um, another thing that I see happening is I spoke at a leadership conference a couple of years ago at um, a very reputable, well-known university, and uh, during one of the workshops, the, the workshop presenter, she, um, she didn't make it to the keynote presentation, so she didn't know what I had just spoken on. And during the workshop, mm-hmm. I sat in on it, and she said, um, she was a very well-known, um, successful businesswoman in her community, and she just said, you know, the recession's happening, and there's not a lot of jobs, and you need to buckle down, and you need to get straight A's, and it's the only way that you're going to be able to find a job when you get out. And I just saw, like, I was sitting in the back of the room, and all of the students' heads were kind of, like, turning and looking at me, and I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> so, you know, the students are getting a lot of mixed messages out there about what it takes to be successful. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. It's, you know, it's very confusing when you get, you know, some messages telling you this way, some messages telling you that way, and it just, you know, it, it creates a, an air of confusion. Um, and I think that in that kind of environment, we start making fear-based choices because we're afraid of, of something bad happening. So we choose things to avoid this yeah. bad thing instead of really making choices that are really ultimately going to, to get us what we want. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have another caller on the line that um, I'm actually going to pick up. So, uh, caller calling from area code 219. You're on the air. Thanks for calling, Mark. Hi, there, Mark. Thank you. I'm Hi. Megan. I'm one of Maria's clients. Oh, great. Hi, Hi Megan. Welcome. Hi, Maria. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm calling to um, comment on the conversation you've been having. I think it's really interesting what Kristen had said about House of Cards. I think the drive to perfectionism also explains some of the dishonesty, some of the cheating scandals that we see popping up in the news every now and again. 
when the results are more important than the process. I think it's just a, a result. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that, Maria. That's really interesting. Um, well, first of all, thank you for uh, calling in, Megan. And uh, I, I, I will say that I've never seen House of Cards. Um, you're about the fifth person who's told me about that show, so I definitely need to start <laughs> watching that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the, the dishonesty it is. It's, it's a very results-focused society. So I can see how it could be easier to cut some corners along the way on the journey if it's going to lead to um, better results faster. And I could see how that could lead to some unethical choices that, uh, you know, that you can see people making that you hear about in the media every day. So it's a really interesting, uh, it's a really interesting point. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm also guessing um, it also plays into the whole issue of academic dishonesty that happens on campuses because in a strive to be perfect, it's like, mm. oh, my God, I have to get a perfect score in this test and my, or in this paper and, and might lead to those kinds of fear-based choices as well. Right. Yep, exactly. The che- I mean, cheating on, on high school and college campuses is, is definitely a large issue, and I think that that is exactly it, that whole pressure to be perfect and the whole pressure to – I need to have this high GPA so I can keep my scholarship or get a scholarship so I might make some choices, cut some corners in order to get the results that I want. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Megan, thank you so much for the call. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Maria. Thanks, Megan. You're welcome. So, um, by the way, there was another caller uh, who dropped a few moments ago. So uh, if you would like to call back, uh, uh, it was from a 716 area code. So if you were waiting and you were on hold and you hung up, uh, please feel free to call back, and we'd be happy to pick up your call. So, um, so Maria, as we think about what parents and teachers and the role that they play in perpetuating this, what would you suggest that they do differently? Hmm. Well, I think... One thing for parents is that this could be such a great opportunity to be able to let down the guard that you don't have to be perfect as a parent either. So, so for example, a lot of parents struggle with the pressure to be perfect too. I know perfectionism in, in motherhood is a huge issue. There's so many books written on the topic. But, um, for instance, uh, I spoke at uh, the National Conference for College Women Student Leaders um, in 2012, and I had a mother um, write me, and, and she she just said that her own perfectionism is totally self-imposed, and she has she says she has four daughters, and she she told them all that grades don't matter. You learn just as much as as you know. You learn just as much not getting the A if you understand what you did wrong and you learn from it. But she said that she can't hear that message for herself. So unfortunately, even though she's saying to her daughters. You don't have to be perfect. She's not role modeling that because she's struggling with these issues herself. So it could be such a great opportunity to, you know, mothers and daughters or, or you know, fathers, sons, whatever it is, to, to be able to have these conversations together and say, you know, we both struggle with, with the pressure to be perfect and let's talk about that and, uh, you know, let's learn together. I think that's a really empowering message and probably really freeing for a lot of parents too who kind of are afraid to let their kids see them be vulnerable and see that they're not perfect and that they make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And those are the kinds of messages that actually that I grew up with. I mean, I remember my parents always saying, um, you know, as long as you've tried your best, that's great. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. As long as you've given it your best and tried your best. Um, and uh, I think that's a really important message. I mean, it doesn't mean that we can't strive or that we shouldn't be rewarded for striving to always improve and do better, but that's very different than having to get that perfect A and that perfect 100 and that perfect blemishless face and, you know, and everything else that, that, uh, <laughs> that ends up killing us uh, in the end. So uh, that's great. We have another caller, actually, uh, looks like from Long Island, from a 516 number. So uh, you are on the air. Thanks for calling Mark My Words. 
Hi, this is Alex. Hi, Maria. Hi, uh, Alex. How are you? I, I was actually calling to ask a question. Um, I was curious, like, I definitely respect, like, the idea of, like, like what, uh, what perfectionism definitely affecting women, but I was like, just curious about, like, the male perspective, how that really affects men, too. Because I've definitely seen over the course of my, like, undergraduate and high school career that I think it manifests itself in different ways, but I think men definitely go through a lot of stress just as well, but just kind of, like, hide it or maybe talk about it in different terms. But I feel like any mm-hmm. advice for the guys. Excellent question. Yeah. Well. Well. <laughs> first of all, Alex, do you do you uh, do you want to tell the listeners how we know each other? Oh, sure. Yeah. Maria and I know each other since I was in freshman year of high school when I was super stressed out and like at the peak of like perfectionism. And I emailed her. I found her website online like on like a whim, and just had to like email her immediately. And like we've been basically at that point, we like just started talking, and it was like. And then all we did, like, she's been my mentor. It's been great. <laughs> Help, really helped me get through mm. a lot. And we, like, really been, like, fortunate to stay in touch even until now. So over, I guess we're for, like, what, like, six years, seven years? Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we well, it's that about so are you the Alex, are, like are you the young, years. are you the young man that had a video on the Ria's website? Uh, I might have been one of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> oh, I yeah. yeah. Very good. I've, I've I've seen your video and I was very very touched by your uh, by your story. Yeah, so nice job. Really, really, truly helped me in many ways. Yeah, Alex did a video for me uh, when I spoke at a high school in California, and he talked about his experiences with perfectionism and uh, what he learned from it. And you know, now he's in in college and. Uh, you know, I'm sure, like like all of us, it's not like you snap your fingers and perfectionism is gone, mm-hmm. but you learn you learn how to uh, keep perspective, you know, and not let it not let it take over your whole life. So that's that's yeah, wonderful. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, how I see it affecting uh, men when I basically what I see is that it affects men and women. So when my TED talk came out, it was a TEDx Buffalo women event. So the talk was geared toward women. But then I had private messages on Facebook, like more than I can count, from men telling me how that talk helped them and they have their inner critic and they face the same issues that women do. So um, I, I, I think that a lot of young men, and I think that maybe you can talk about that, Alice, too, like what you see on college campuses, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of young men will kind of bottle it up and internalize it more than women. So they're not going to go to their campus counseling center, walk through the counseling center doors, and, and, and talk about it and maybe get the help that they need. Instead, they might not talk about it or they might search on the Internet and then, you know, the anonymity that the Internet affords, maybe try to seek help that way. Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like it definitely does manifest itself in like for men too, just in different ways. I think it's I feel like in general, like culturally it's not as acceptable for men to talk about their feelings and I feel like that's what you kinda of have mm-hmm. to do to get through like really hard days of perfectionism is talking about it. Either at a counseling center or with another friend. So I feel like that's kinda of like the bigger damage is like the silence is probably like more harmful in the long run. Um, especially yeah, being yeah. in college and seeing like, someone that's like a, on a pre med track, you definitely feel a lot of stress every day. So I, I feel yeah. like yeah, talking it, talking it through is definitely like, an important step for like men to take, and whether through a counselor mm-hmm. or through some sort of online help, I feel like that's probably like the the bigger block that men face with it. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. with men holding in their feelings more, uh, more than, uh, traditionally so than, than than women, I think uh, Woody Allen had a line, uh, in, I believe it was Annie Hall. Uh, he was asked about getting angry and how he handles his anger, and he says, "Oh, I don't get angry. I just grow tumors." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, it, yeah, it's. You know, and 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 I believe you know it's still today. Men die from stress-related illnesses more more frequently than women do. Uh, I know that used to be the mm-hmm. case. Uh, I'm sure it it still is, although it's changing. Um, you know, as women enter the workforce and have more pressures that they didn't have 50 years ago. Um, you know, there there might be more of that going on. Um, and you know, men and women we're wired differently, so we manage our stress differently. We communicate our feelings differently. 
And, uh, you know, so we can certainly uh, see the effects of that. Definitely. Well, Alex, thanks for the call. And it's, uh, it's great to know that you're, that you're doing well. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. Really a, a journey. Thank you, yeah. you Maria. Uh, Thank you, Alex. Hi, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome, Alex. Take care. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm glad to hear that you uh, got a lot of uh, uh, private messages from men as well um, and that men are actually reaching out to to express that and to ask for help. Um, and because uh, yeah, I think, you know, I- men are also – Men are also under some pressures that they weren't under years ago as well in terms of, you know, having to look good. You know, men mm-hmm. started becoming sex symbols. That was something that wasn't marketed to us. It was an untapped market and for so many years. Women were sex symbols. Men didn't have to be. Uh, and, you know, somebody got the bright idea that, hey, we can make money by making men feel just as inadequate as women for not having a perfect body. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, and now we have eating disorders among men that are increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know certainly in the world of gay men, um, it's, there's even more of that pressure to have just the right body mm-hmm. and the right muscle to body fat ratio. And, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's just an enormous pressure. I mean, you could see the effects of there as well. Yeah, I, I wrote an article before for Campus Calm, right, right actually in March, and, and I called it March Madness which, you know, obviously is a little playoff uh, basketball, but it's this whole we're going on spring break, so now it's this whole pressure we have to look perfect. And I interviewed men and women in, in really vulnerable, honest interviews from, from young men talking about the pressure to look perfect. And I think one young man said something like, we, um, you know, we eat the cheeseburger, we worry if it's going to, you know, how it's going to affect our size, but we would rather die than tell you that and admit it. So instead we bottle it up and internalize it. Wow, yeah. Very true. Very true. Um, so, you know, if you could, um, I love the story you tell this in your TED Talk about the um, – the where, where you got the title for your for your TED talk, which of course is "Recovering <laughs> Perfectionist My Ass." Um, I think it's such a brilliant story. So for those uh, those listeners who have either not had the wonderful opportunity to hear it yet, or would love to hear it again live from the horse's mouth, um, <laughs> tell us how you came up with that title. Yeah. So um, I started Campus Calm, and from just really great opportunities. I started getting speaking invitations on college campuses. And I did not have a public speaking background, never took a public speaking class in my life. I was a great writer, so I could write a great speech, but I didn't know how to deliver one. So um, when that happened, I started asking everybody for advice, and people were just telling me, be yourself, be yourself, you're likable. And I'm like, you know, be yourself. I'm like, I need tutorials. So... (laughs) So I started looking online and <laughs> signing up for webinars and teleseminars on, uh, you know, public speaking and all the tips and tricks. And I just remember sitting on one webinar and the, the trainer said something like, you know, public speakers, you have just a split second to make a first impression with an audience. And if you use filler copy, um, like, you know, yeah, you know, if you, if you just use that one time that studies show that you're going to lose credibility with an audience. So, I, you know, I, I joke in my TED Talk that my inner perfectionist, who, who I call Perfectoria, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> perfect, Perfectoria and me just absolutely love that webinar. So I started scripting all my speeches and memorizing them word for word. And I have a gift where I can memorize pretty quickly, which is great, but it also disturbs me because when I memorize every single word, I can, you know, lose a connection with an audience and come across as a little too perfect. So what was happening was I was speaking at leadership conferences and speaking on college campuses, and um, I would get anonymous feedback forms, and well, I was getting some emails that were saying, oh, my God, you were the best speaker I've ever heard, and that was fantastic. And that was great, I mean, for my ego, 
So it was I really connecting mm-hmm. with those students and showing them that they don't have to be perfect and that they can give their dreams a try, or was I showing them that you have to be perfect to be successful? So, and, and then other students were emailing me messages like, you know, too perfect and show off. And then one, one audience member uh, wrote a comment that said, not one um like, yeah, or you know, in a whole 60-minute speech, recovering perfectionist, my ass. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> which, you know, which, yeah, which I will fully admit that I, I buried my head in the sand and probably cried for two days. But afterwards, <laughs> I, I, I needed I needed to hear those messages. They they freed yeah. me to stop being so perfect and pompous because people people don't like you as much when you're trying to be perfect. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And you know, it's, it's negative <laughs> feedback is such a gift, right? It's it's really yes, uh, it is. it's what helps us to improve our game and be our best. Um and so what it, what a gift that is. And and I think that's also an important message for somebody recovering from perfectionism is to recognize that, you know, you can't make a mistake because everything you do is a choice that you make in the moment. It's what you thought was best or you would have made a different choice and there was something to learn from it. You know, uh, there's very there's all these different mm-hmm. ways that we can experience life, and every choice we make leads us to a way to experience life. Um, sometimes we experience mm-hmm. life in the form of negative feedback uh, that can be given very gently and very lovingly, or negative feedback that can be given pretty harshly. Um, and in any in any event, you know, it's a gift. It's a gift, and you know, it's it's, it's about looking at what is there that I can learn from this. Um, instead of, oh, my God, why did this happen and what am I supposed to do about it? You know, what did I learn? What did I learn about what I value? Um, and I think those are some important lessons for recovering perfectionists out there. Yeah. And you know what's so interesting? Um, you know how when you Google, when you start typing a uh, search term into Google and sometimes, like, you start typing a word or two and then phrases automatically pop up and that's search terms that are yep. that have been searched a lot by people? So if you if you mm-hmm. Google mistakes make what comes right up is mistakes make you who you are mistakes make you make you stronger and then if you type in perfect is it'll say perfect is the enemy of good perfect isn't easy and perfect is the enemy of done so I just thought that was really fascinating. Wow, that is great, and I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear it's not the other way around. <laughs> You know, right. because uh, that's that's all reflective of what people are searching for. So um, that's, mm-hmm. that's good to hear that there's some consciousness around this out there. Interesting. And, you know, the other thing, too, as you talk about Google, one of the things that uh, one of my co-trainers at IPEC, uh, Cheryl, always had said uh, about, you know, our tendency sometimes to want to – uh, say, oh, I hope this doesn't happen. You know, this has to be perfect. I, I hope this thing doesn't happen, and I, and I don't want this, and I don't want that. And mm-hmm. the universe doesn't hear the no's, the don'ts, and the nots. So, you know, everything that you, that you try to avoid is really what ends up coming to you anyway. And she gives the metaphor with Google, and she says, if you type the words, if you type the search term, no football, into Google, <laughs> what results do you get? <laughs> Right? You get everything that has to do with football. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Google and search terms, and uh, there's it's a, a growing number of metaphors for life in, in, uh, in how search terms work because our lives are a giant search, right? So, yeah. Uh, so, well, very cool. Um and so, you know, you talk about your inner perfectionist. You talk about Perfectoria uh, in your TED Talk. And uh, there was something related to that that um, I would love to, for you to tell, which is, um, uh, b- before we wrap, which is a story of uh, somebody you said who wouldn't post about a job interview she had on Facebook. Um, and it was related to her perfectionism. Yeah. I have yeah, a very powerful um, story. One of uh, one of one of my uh, clients, who um, you know I've had the privilege to coach with one on one, she um, brilliant, brilliant young woman, and uh, you know graduated with her master's degree and was starting the whole job process, and uh, she had a job interview, 
and she was embarrassed and didn't want to post it to Facebook to her friends and family that she had an interview. And you know, when we talked about that, um, she said that it was because she didn't want to have it be public because if she didn't get the job, then she would be embarrassed and she would feel ashamed. So, um, you know, in in, in going through um, different coaching techniques that I learned about through going through the IPEC program that, um, you know, you and I have both gone through with my client, and and we really discovered that at the heart of it, um, when she was in middle school, uh, she was very intelligent, uh, little girl and they moved her up a grade and the whole school was talking about it and you know oh my god look how smart she is and I think um, as soon as they moved her up in a grade within a couple of weeks she was having a lot of, of trouble adjusting and uh, taking on the, the new material so they moved her back down a grade and the whole school mm-hmm. saw it and she was embarrassed and ashamed so I think that, you know, her little inner perfectionist was formed as a way to protect her from that embarrassment that she experienced when she was in middle school, mm-hmm. which is, you yeah. know, it's really powerful. And I think that that's, that's something that's so important that I learned is that the inner, you know, our perfectionist a lot of times is, is trying to serve us. Yes, it may be mis- in a misguided way, but... It's not about fighting with your inner perfectionist. Like you see all this, all these things um, in our culture about, you know, you have to fight with yourself and battle with yourself and beat and win. Your, you know, I triumph over your inner perfectionist and kick her to the curb. And, and you know, I, I, I see that and I, I just think to myself, you know, like who wins when you're in battle with yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody. Right. So, uh, wow, wow. So, so Maria, what's as as we wrap? Um, let me just ask you, uh, what your what's the bottom line message that you would like listeners to take away tonight, with regard to whether it's their own perfectionism or helping somebody else that they love or care about who seems to be on a on a on a on a path to crashing and burning from pursuing perfectionism. Yeah, I mean, I think that everybody is going to, to come on their own journey. Just just come to the understanding that perfectionism, it is glorified and it is rewarded, but at what cost? And, and is the cost too high of a price for, for you to pay? Is, if it's robbing you of your joy or your happiness or your health, you know, where's the line for you? And and I often say this when I speak on college campuses, and, and this is a universal message for, for people of all ages that, you know, you're, you're more than the measure of your GPA or the title on your business card, the size of your jeans, but ultimately you are enough. And if we can say that to ourselves as many times as it takes for us to believe it, that, I mean, just imagine how different our lives could be. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, as, you, as you were saying that, um, it, I'm just reminded of the song from, um, it's time for a Broadway reference, it's a song from Chorus Line <laughs> where, they, uh, where she sings, Who am I anyway? Am I my resume? Right? And it's, it's all about, like, who am I? Am I this piece of paper that shows, like, my best foot forward? Is that really who I am? There's got to be more to this. Um, so that's mm. what I'm reminded of um, as, as you say that. And I think, too, you, you touched upon something really important, too, Maria, in, 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 that, in what you just said. And that is uh, about, you know, if it robs you of your happiness and joy, it's a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I, I imagine it's very difficult for for some people to make the distinction between uh, high achieving and struggle for perfectionism. Um, they mm-hmm. probably look like one and the same to people who suffer from perfectionism. Right. And uh, I think you know, uh, just like sometimes we want to look at you know what's what's the difference between a drinking problem and and somebody who drinks socially. Well, what impact does the drinking have on your life? 
Um, and what if you can't drink on a given night that you wanted to? How do you feel, right? So I think with perfectionism, it's the same way. It's am I addicted to success or am I striving for a healthy level of success? Well, how does it make you feel when you're not successful at something? Um, you know, and what impact does the strive for success have on your life? And I think that, uh, you know, one of the bases, uh, basic principles uh, upon which I coach, and I know that you do too because it's a principle that we both learned in our coach training together, is the whole concept of um, do we make fear-based choices or conscious-based choices? Are the choices that we make from a conscious, loving place because it's something that really serves us and gives us joy and happiness, or is it a fear-based choice where it's chosen as a way to avoid the pain of something bad happening? Um, and if we live our lives constantly choosing things that help us to avoid pain at all costs, well, there's the key phrase, at all costs, it's going to cost us mm-hmm. a lot. Um, pain in our lives is sometimes necessary. It's, 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 pain is inevitable, right? Um, it's the suffering that's the optional part. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, I think that's, uh, that certainly bears, bears mentioning. So, yeah. so Maria, um, this has been really wonderful, and I'm imagining that there, there might be a bunch of people out there that might want to connect with you and chat with you. So um, how can they get in touch with you? And uh, I, I understand you've got something that um, you're going to offer our listeners tonight for listening to the show. Yeah, well, first, I mean, thank you so much for having me on the show today. This has been so fun and freeing for me all at the same time because it felt so good to do an interview that I didn't script. (laughs) 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 Um, So, yeah, for all the listeners on on the call, um, my business in the college market helping to shape young leaders and and letting go of the pressure to be perfect is Campus Calm. So that's campus, C-A-L-M dot com. And then I am really excited to um, announce and unveil my brand-new coaching website that um, is not perfect, and I'm proud of that because it's a working process. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it is www.rewriteperfect.com. And then if you go to um, slash mark my words, um, and I know that, Mark, you're going to actually post the link on your page so that people mm-hmm. can easily click through over to it. But um, this right. new, um, the, the new coaching website is just all about throwing out the conventional definition of perfect, which is flawless without fault, to create your new definition for life. And um, I have some great... Uh, starter packages that I'm offering with um, some really great uh, discounts and uh, promotional packages for your listeners. So I would be so excited and honored to work with any of you. Great, great. Well, thank you for that because my listeners are special people. Um, as yes, as well as a lot of <laughs> listeners tonight that are that are your special people too, so um, so that's they're very deserving of that. So thank you for that. Um, we all we all appreciate that. So um, so great. So Maria, this has really been wonderful. Uh, again, I'm so proud of you and the work that you've done uh, since the time that I've since the time that I met you in class. And uh, uh, you're just doing some awesome stuff. And I really urge anybody out there if you are dealing with perfectionism yourself, or you know somebody who is, Maria is the woman to call and to talk to. Um, and uh, I think you'll be very, very happy uh, that uh, that you did. So uh, thank you so much again, Maria, for being with us tonight. Thank you, Mark, and thank you so much. It's, it's been such a pleasure being your student and learning so much from you uh, going through the IPEC program. It's really helped me to kind of let go of my own inner perfectionist. So it's been a pleasure. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks very much for that. 
Well, that about wraps it up for tonight, as I invite you to mark your words if you'd like. If you have feedback about the show, just go to markmywordsradio.com and scroll down to the feedback link. If you'd like to follow the Life Coach Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio, just visit us at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Network, and then click on the follow button. Also, visit our website at www.lifecoachradionetworks.com and learn about all of our networks. I hope you enjoyed the past hour and that you found it engaging, enlightening, and stimulating. You can listen to Mark My Words live on the first and third Sundays of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, as well as listen to any previous show from my archives at markmywordsradio.com and on iTunes by searching Mark My Words. I look forward to speaking with you all again next time. Thank you for listening to Mark My Words. I'm Mark, and those are my words. Good night.